Every week, we gather to receive fresh gifts from our Lord Jesus. Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. While we're in this life, we deal with all kinds of troubles, don't we? Anxieties, injustice, oppression, hopelessness, you name it. But when we gather each week, we can have our faith refreshed with the Lord's gifts of grace and peace. We're in a series called The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests. Here's a message entitled, Grace and Peace to You, Part 2. God saves us even though we don't deserve it. It's His steadfast love. His salvation, His service to us, it's all of grace. His steadfast love, His faithfulness, His goodness, His mercy. It is to Him alone, to all glory, to Him alone. He continually rescues us as we cry out to him because of his steadfast love. The prophet Jeremiah, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I can't tell you how many times when I wake up, I have gone to that passage and quoted it and said, Lord, help me today. And then lastly, we saw that the prayer of invocation comforts and assures fearful and weak believers. Psalm 91, verse 15. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Jesus teaches us to pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us, Father, deliver us from evil. I can't tell you how much I pray that every week. I pray it when I wake up. I pray it every night before I go to bed. And I pray it all day long throughout the whole day. Deliver me from this evil. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. Oh, Lord, deliver me from evil. That's how I pray. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. Father, deliver us from evil. And the invocation reminds us in corporate worship to pray this petition for assurance as we call out for help. That our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You hear my cry and you respond and you deliver me from my enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You come because you're my Father. I'm your son and I need deliverance and only you can give it. And it assures my weak heart. So that was last week. That's a prayer of invocation. So here's the question. What does it look like for God to come? And how does he come? This past week in a small group, John was with us. He says, I come to church and I wonder where God is and how he's going to meet me and how I'm going to meet him. I've always wondered that. God's response in the liturgy answers John's prayer. It's called the salutation. It's a fancy liturgical word. Invocation, salutation. You know what salutation is? It's a greeting. It's God's greeting to his people. Immediately after prayer of invocation, the minister, acting as the Lord's divinely appointed ambassador, speaking on behalf of the king from his court, raises his hands and blesses the people and declares God's good will toward them in the liturgy. And he announces God's promised rescue. Hear God's welcome greeting to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
having invoked the name of the one who has delivered us from our Egypt, from our slavery to sin, our bondage to iniquity, we are then met with God's gracious response. This salutation, his greeting, is God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's response to his gathered guests' invocation, cry for help, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a greeting by a king. What a greeting. Now notice how this liturgy constitutes a dialogue between the Lord and his people. We said last week that all corporate worship is based on this covenantal pattern. This covenant that God has made, we call upon him, we pull the fire alarm of invocation, Lord, help me, save me, deliver me, come. And he comes when we pull the fire alarm. It's this dialogue and worship. It's called the dialogical worship. It's dialogical. You're having a dialogue. You are talking to God. You are praying. You are learning to pray through the liturgy, and he responds to you. And it is the minister acting in his office, speaking on behalf of God as God's divinely sent ambassador on behalf of God. He's speaking to the congregation, and the congregation's responding to God. It is a dialogue. And so the good news is that when we speak, when we invoke the name of our God, the name of the Lord, he listens and he responds and he will not violate his covenant promise, his steadfast love to his people. Listen to the psalmist as he's reflecting on God's promise to David in the Davidic covenant from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because the psalmist is wondering, where is God? I've been calling on God. Where is God? And as he reflects on God's covenant promise to David, listen, my steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. What comfort. Because of his steadfast love, his covenant promise, when we invoke the Lord, he descends in the power of the Holy Spirit. He takes up his authority, his throne among us to deliver us from all our enemies, from the enemies of the, of the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. He comes. We call on the Lord to be present among us by his spirit every single week. And when we do that, we listen as Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, is fulfilled in our presence. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. So God's greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are unexpected words of assurance and comfort. Now why do I say unexpected? Why are these unexpected words? Because in our fallen, depraved state, we do not expect the living God to greet us with grace and peace. That's not what we expect. 
We do not expect for our sin and for our rebellion to be greeted with forgiveness and restoration. That's not what we expect. We expect to get what we deserve. That's what we expect. We expect to get exactly what we have merited. Why do we expect to get what we deserve? Why do we not expect to get grace and peace? Why, where does this come from? Turn with me to the book of Genesis. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Let's go back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Just look briefly at verses 26 to 31. We're just going to summarize it. God creates man in his own image. He places man in the garden and over his world. He says, be my vassal king and exercise dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and everything. Take dominion. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. He blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. And God goes on to talk about that. And so God creates man in Adam and Eve in his image. And the Lord's act of creation generates a relationship with man. And this relationship, by virtue of being created in the image of God, through this relationship, implicit obligations follow. Man's to exercise dominion as the lesser king, the vassal. And he has to be faithfully exercising dominion and subduing and multiplying and covering the face of the earth so that the image and glory of God can be spread throughout the whole earth. And so man was created to live in a joyful, close relationship with his creator. The Lord placed Adam and Eve, man, in the Garden of Eden, this garden temple, this paradise. And he charged them, exercise dominion over my creation. And then he structured this relationship with man in creation by a covenant. It's called the covenant of works. We read of this covenant in Genesis chapter 2. Let's look. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. God structures this covenantal relationship. And it says in verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So this was the covenant. These were the terms of the covenant. The terms of the covenant are quite clear. Do this and you shall live, Adam. Disobey this and you shall die, Adam. So in this covenant, God commits to give Adam, and not only to Adam, but to all of Adam's posterity. That would be you and me. All of Adam's posterity, God commits to give to Adam eternal life for obedience. Or eternal death for disobedience. Do this and live. Don't do this and die. Or do this and die. So here are the terms. Adam's personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience, his works, 
These were the means of obtaining the promise of eternal life. Now you're thinking, well, I didn't think salvation came by works. That's wrong. It does. We're all saved by works. You see, we have to keep in mind that at the end of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, which we're going to look at, the Lord declares all of his creation, what? In verse 31. Very good. Not just good, very good. That includes Adam. The Lord made Adam very good. He made him in his own image. Wait, what, what is that? He made him in true righteousness and holiness. He made him that he might rightly know his creator. He made Adam so that Adam would live with his creator in eternal blessedness to praise and to glorify him. You see, when Adam was made by God, he was naturally inclined to obey. Obeying his creator was his delight. It was his first inclination. It was his natural disposition. The Lord created him very good. The Lord created Adam so that Adam could perform God's covenant law perfectly. There was no defect in Adam. There was nothing wrong with God's creation. Adam was perfectly able to fulfill the terms of the covenant of works and obey God to receive the reward of eternal life. There was nothing in Adam that would keep him from doing that. He was very good in the image of God. But we have to also keep in mind that in this covenant, God appointed Adam to be the federal head and legal representative of the entire human race. He wasn't just obeying for his own personal eternal life. God appointed Adam to act on all of our behalf, all of humanity, so that in Adam, all of humanity would either be confirmed in righteousness by means of his works of obedience or humanity would be judged in Adam by means of Adam's violation of this covenant. Adam's obedience or disobedience would be reckoned, imputed, passed on to his posterity. And sadly, something happened very mysteriously. Adam turned his back on his covenant creator Lord in a self willed act of idolatrous rebellion and man the bible says in genesis through the instigation of the devil portrayed as the serpent by willful disobedience robbed himself and all of his descendants of the power and of the ability to obey god personally perfectly and perpetually it was gone And the consequences were enormous. This relationship is now, Genesis chapter 3, look at it, verses 7 and 8. This relationship is now marked by separation, 
fear, guilt, shame, dread. Look at chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. That is, they knew they were before the all-seeing, all-knowing gaze of a righteous and just God, where they couldn't hide from it. Fully exposed in their sin to God. That's what it means when it says they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is a tragedy. Knowing their creator had become their judge and that they had come under the penalty of the covenant of works from Genesis 2, 15 through 17, Adam and Eve, in an act of self-justification, try and attempt to cover up their nakedness before God. They sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness before God. This is the first act of self-justification in the Bible. Man trying to cover his shame and guilt before his creator God. And then the Bible says, upon hearing the sound of the voice of the Lord God. You know what that word sound is in the Hebrew? It means literally this. It means the voice of God. God speaking, the word of God. God speaking, hearing God's word caused them to have great fear. Hearing the word of the Lord caused them to go hide themselves in fear. So they immediately hid themselves and look at chapter 3, verse 9. As they're hiding from the presence of the Lord in fear, verse 9, the Lord God called to the man, Adam, and said to him, where are you? Now, the Lord's question is not a question of location. God knew exactly where Adam was, hiding, trying to save himself from God. His question, Adam, where are you, is a question of judgment. It is a question of the word of the Lord speaking law to a sinner. Adam, where are you now in relationship to me since you have broken my covenant? That's the question asked to every man who's ever lived. Where are you now, in relationship to the living God, now that you have violated and broken his law. The offended Lord comes to judge his unfaithful and disobedient servant, Adam, for violating the covenant of works established in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. And God confronts Adam, not Eve, because Adam was not a private, but a public person. He was the federal representative, the head of the whole human race. And to the Lord's 
terrifying question, Adam, where are you? That was a chilling, terrifying question of judgment from God's law. The word of the Lord speaking to a sinner in the open gaze of a holy God. Where are you? Adam replies, I heard the sound. I heard your voice. I heard the word of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, fully exposed to your all-knowing gaze. So I hid myself. Adam was hiding in fear from the Lord because he was expecting and rightly so expecting to receive the Lord's judgment, death sentence for breaking the covenant of works. Adam, in the day that you eat of this right here, you shall surely die. Adam was expecting his sin to be met with judgment, death. And tragically, Adam's fearful response will become the reply of every human conscience and the presence of God. The Puritan saying is true, in Adam's fall, sinned we all. This aspect of the covenant of works is obvious from human history. We've all sinned. Once Adam fell, death came to Eve, came to Cain, came to Abel, all mankind. Death came to all mankind. And Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, sin came into the world through one man. That's Adam. And death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, prior to his act of disobedience, Adam was at peace with the Lord in the garden. He was at peace with the Lord. He daily enjoyed a peaceful, joyful, close relationship with his creator. Adam delighted in obeying his creator, but now tragically for some mysterious reason which the Bible does not answer, tells us that he chose to willfully rebel against God and violate the covenant terms. And because of this, tragically, the relationship with God is now marked by fear, anxiety, shame, separation, guilt, and dread. Having been created under the covenant of works, Adam did not know of any other way of relating to his creator. Consequently, Adam's only expectation was, oh no, I am going to die. That's all he expected, and rightly so. Grace wasn't in Adam's vocabulary. Grace wasn't in his expectation. Grace wasn't in his conscience. Grace was not on his outlook. Why? Because there was no grace before the fall. Grace didn't exist. God had never spoken grace prior to the fall. There's no need for grace. 
Why? Because prior to the fall, there was no sin. Therefore, there was no need of grace. How did the Lord and how did man relate to each other? Listen. Prior to the fall, man related to the living God and God related to man on the basis of his freedom, that is his sovereignty, and on law, righteousness. That's how they related. God's dominion, sovereignty, freedom, and his law, righteousness. And so Adam only expected to receive what he had earned because that's how he was created and that's all he knew. I have earned judgment and death, rightly so, I'm done. Adam, where are you? I'm done, it's over. The Lord meets willful disobedience with grace. Why? Why? Because the covenant has been broken, violated. Why would he do this? Because he is the gift giver. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called Grace and Peace to You, Part 2. We'll conclude this message with Part 3 next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.